All right, everyone. Good morning again. If you've got a Bible, could you go to Joshua chapter 8? Joshua chapter 8. We'll be continuing our series from the book of Joshua. But before we get into that, let me just um, take you somewhere else. Hopefully this will help frame where we're going. Now, last Christmas, almost a year ago, um, I got a a Christmas present from my wife, um, which I instantly had asked for, and that was entry to uh, a race. I like to run kind of my exercise, and I do enjoy it. I'm one of those people. And um, she'd asked me what you wanted for Christmas, and I remember reading something or hearing something saying, you know, when you, when you get gifts to, to, you know, to be more happy, it says don't ask for, don't ask for things, ask for experiences because they last in the memory, and you get to kind of enjoy them more. And I thought, oh, okay. And so I said to Mel, I'd like an entry to a race, so I can train for it and then just go and do it. And I didn't want just a straightforward run around the roads. I wanted something a bit more interesting. So I found this one called the Shindig in the Shire, which was over in the wilds of Shropshire, um, and it was basically up and down hills in places I'd never heard of. And I said, I'll have that one. And so she bought it for me, and so I trained. And then kind of May last year, I went and did this race running up and down the hills in the mud and through the trees over in um, Shropshire. And it was great. I, I enjoyed it. And then the first kind of part of the race we got going was all uphill. So the first three or four miles, we just basically ran uphill, which, you know, had its own hardships. And I thought, come on, we're going to have to start flattening out or going downhill at some point because we're going to have to go back to the start to finish this. And then we got to this place they called The Hump. And I was like, I didn't know what this was. And they got arrows saying you have to go up here. And as we went up here, you started climbing. And it got sort of, it, this sign appeared that basically said, Abandon Hope. And I was like, what? What is this? And it got so steep at that point that you couldn't actually run. In fact, you couldn't even walk. You had to kind of go hand over hand kind of up this up this hill that was steep, so you're grabbing it, and it was muddy, and it was wet, and I don't know if you've got, uh, you know, about the f- your phone or your watch that can track you where you're going, if you go for a run, it tells you where you went, it tells you how far, my one, when I looked back at it afterwards, basically I was traveling so slowly that it just stopped, it decided that I wasn't moving, and I wasn't worth tracking, so it just turned me off. And so there's a section of the race that's just missing kind of where I was. And eventually you get to the top of the hump. And by this time, I was not a happy camper. I was quietly cursing my wife for giving me this present that I'd asked for. And I, we got to the kind of the ridge, the, the top, and you could start running again. I thought, this is easier. And then it started to go downhill. And I thought, at last, we're getting downhill. And the speed started to increase. And I started to feel a bit better. And I started to run downhill. However... When you start to run downhill, things can get away from you. Gravity is now on your side. So I started to get faster and faster, got a little bit confident, overtook a couple of people thinking, I am the man, Mo Farah, eat your heart out. And I'm flying down these trails, and the trails started to get a bit narrower, roots, rocks, tree branches, and it started to get a little slick as well underfoot. And I had those shoes on with little lugs, so a little bit of grip. But when you're pounding your foot down and it starts to give every time you put your foot down, you start thinking... Uh oh, and there comes a tipping point which I hit, and then I went over the tipping point where I suddenly realized I'm not in control anymore, and I am just flying down this hill thinking, I don't know if I can stop it. I'm just now in just this uncontrolled charge down the hill. And as I'm flying down this hill, just trying to stay upright, dodging the roots, dodging the trees, I've got this. You know, a throwback from the 80s, MC Hammer going around my head. You know, you can't stop this, I'm thinking. 
I'm thinking, I know it's, you can't touch this, but I'm thinking, you cannot stop this. I am just going down this hill, and I am flying down there. And then I notice that towards the end of the hill, there is a tight kind of right-hand turn, bracken and brambles and stuff. And I think, I've got to hit the turn. And then as I hit the turn, I notice there's a road coming, because the, the race was down the hill, and you had to cross this road. And it's one of those old country roads with big high bushes either side, the fences, or so I'm just going to hit this hedge. And so I'm flying down this way, I'm thinking, I've got to take the turn. I'm thinking, you can't stop this, so I've got to do a controlled turn and then hope when I hit the road and it flattens out that I can actually stop myself. And then I notice what's worse, another runner in front of me who happens to be a petite young lady. And I'm just thinking, you can't stop this. No, 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 no. No, and I'm thinking, you can't stop this. And, she's, and I'm crashing, and I'm making this noise that I felt was manly, but it was more like, ah! to let her know I'm coming. She looks back at me at wide-eyed horror, and I suddenly have a flashback from GCSE physics. Force is mass times acceleration. And I'm thinking, there's a lot of mass, and there's a no, mass times velocity, and there's a lot of me going. And I'm thinking, I'm just going to cane this poor girl. And she luckily managed to move to the side as I flew past it, across the road, into the hedge, and just kind of wiped out there, like, humiliated, like, thinking, if only no one could see, but she's standing right there. Are you okay? And I get up, I'm fine. I had that all under control, blood and all sorts on me. But the point was, I couldn't stop this. It got to that point where my... My direction, my trajectory was out of my control and I was just flying. And there was no force on earth that was going to stop me and, and stop me careering past her onto that road. Thankfully, no traffic was coming. And what you're going to look at today when we go to the book of Joshua is something you cannot stop. And that's the purposes of God. And nothing, that can be, nothing can get in the way of God's purposes and God's plans for his people. And we've been looking through the book of Joshua. We've actually got the last part today before the Christmas break. Next week it's kind of we're on to Christmas. We'll run down to Christmas in the new year. We're going to pick up the book and finish it as we head towards Easter. And if we remember in the book of Joshua, God's people are about to enter the land of promise that God had promised to Abraham 500 years before. And we saw that Joshua was the new leader of God's people, and he was about to take the people to inherit their promises. This is what I've given you. He said, this land, you're about to go in. And the first five chapters of the book that we've looked at were all about preparing God's people. They'd scout out the land. God had said, be strong and courageous. They'd crossed the Jordan. They'd prepared themselves for all that was to come. And then the section we're now, chapters 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, are basically the kind of what they call the warfare stage, where they're actually taking the land uh, and actually conquering it. And we looked at Jericho a couple of weeks back with Matt, how they'd taken this first city and God had just given it to them in miraculous power. The walls had come down, that famous story. They just came tumbling down and the people had taken the city. And then last week, if you were here, it was the really bad news where the people of God had had this great victory, but they'd also sinned before God because someone had disobeyed God and taken some of the things that were devoted to God. And actually God says, these are mine. And he had stolen from God, Achan. And we looked at the consequences of sin on the people. And they went out to, to, to conquer the kind of the next city, Ai. And they'd met with total defeat, utter humiliation of God's people. And they were distraught. And God had highlighted the problem, the sin, and then dealt with it. And now we pick up the story in chapter 8 with actually what happens after that. So the big idea... F- today is uh, the purposes of God cannot be stopped. He will always have the victory. 
The purposes of God cannot be stopped. He will always have the victory. And the title of today's sermon is, You Can't Stop This. No, 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 no. Okay. What we're going to do is I'm going to read the passage and explain a bit, and then we'll apply it at the end. What I want you to look out for as we go through this is two themes which kind of run through the passage. The first one is the sovereignty of God, the power of God. The Bible says very clearly God is ruler over everything. He is the ruler over all creation. He has total power, total authority to do what he wills. And so he can choose to do things or choose not to do things. That is totally within his character and power as God. But at the same time, man is completely responsible for their actions. Man is totally responsible for what we say, what we do. We don't get let off the hook there's nothing like fatalism or anything like that. We are responsible for everything we do. And these, these two themes are going to be weaved through this chapter. So let's find the first bit. Let's read the first bit of the, um, the chapter. It says, And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise. Go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil, its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. All right, first thing, victory assured. Victory assured. When we left off chapter 7, the sin of the people had been dealt with by God's justice. And so the relationship was restored. And as a result of that, God is now speaking to Joshua and he's saying, do not fear. You have nothing to worry about. Not from God's wrath for sin, because that's been dealt with, the relationship restored. But you've got nothing to worry about in the future in your conquest of the land. Because what do he say? He says, see, I have given. I've given you. It's already done. I've assured you of the victory. This city that you are facing that has just defeated you, the previous chapter, he says, I've given them to you. It's, you're going to win. You don't have to worry. I'm with you, and the victory is assured. You're going to be completely victorious in this battle. He also says he gives them a plan. He says, lay an ambush against the city. So this is how you're going to do it. Last time, Jericho... They wandered around the city in silence a bunch of times. And then it was blowing trumpets. And that's what gave them the victory. This time it says, actually, you can use a little more military savvy. And you're going to lay an ambush to catch out your enemy. Now, the interesting thing here is the contrast between chapter 7 and chapter 8. If you remember chapter 7, they went up to Ai to, to, to try and take the city. And there was something missing. And what was missing, we worked out, was actually there was nothing from the commands of God. God hadn't spoken. God hadn't told them to do anything. We now know why. It was because of the sin of Achan was in the people, and that needed to be dealt with. But now relationship restored. God is speaking to his people. He gives very clear commands. You're going to go and take the city. You're going to lay an ambush, and this is how you're going to do it. He also promises, as well as victory, he promises reward. You're going to be able to take plunder and spoil, which hadn't been the case at Jericho. Jericho says, actually, no, everything is devoted to me. Everything is devoted to God. It is mine. And there was an act of obedience for God's people there to follow that, which one of them had failed as a result. And it makes you wonder if only Achan had waited. If only he had waited, he'd have got what he wanted because they're now going to plunder the city. They're now going to take a reward for what it was. And so what confidence that must have given to Joshua and the leaders and the people with God speaking. He says, I'm gonna, you're going to take the city. I've given it to you. Here's the plan. Lay an ambush. 
And this is actually, once you've done that, there will be a reward for your obedience, reward for of my response to my faithfulness of God, and you're going to be able to plunder the city, and you're going to be able to take rewards from what's happened. So that's where this starts out. Victory is assured. Let's see the next part of the story. It says, so Joshua and all the fighting men arose to go up to Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them out by night. And he commanded them, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you remain ready. And I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. And when they come out against us, just as before, we shall flee before them. And they will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city. For they will say, They are fleeing before us. Just as before, so we will flee before them. Then you shall rise up from the ambush and seize the city, for the Lord your God will give it into your hand. And as soon as you have taken the city, you shall set the city on fire. You shall do according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. So Joshua sent them out, and they went to the place of ambush and lay between Bethel and Ai, to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent that night among the people. Joshua rose early in the morning and mustered the people and went up, and he and the elders of Israel before the people of Ai. And all the fighting men who were with him went up and drew near before the city and encamped at the north side of Ai with a ravine between them and Ai. He took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. So they stationed the forces. The main encampment was that was north of the city and its rear guard west of the city. But Joshua spent that night in the valley. All right, so we now have victory prepared. God has already said, I'm going to have, give you this city. This is what you're going to do. There's the sovereignty of God at work. They're saying, I've, I've already ordained this. This is what's going to come about. But actually, they had to take some initiative. They had to take some responsibility. They had to then follow through God's word. So God says, you're going to lay an ambush. So what did Joshua do? He gets his troops together and he lays an ambush. He sets one group over here hidden. You're going to be this side, we're going to be this side, and we're going to draw them out, but you're going to remain hidden, and when they come out, you're going to come out and attack. And so he sets his large force um, for instructions for the ambush, and what they're going to do is they're going to go, just like last time in chapter 7, and they're going to engage with them, the enemy are going to come out, and then they're going to pretend to flee. They're going to run away, which for the enemy will look exactly the same. We've beaten them once, guess what? We'll beat them again. They'll be overconfident of what they've seen. They, won't, they don't think highly of the God of Israel. They think, we'll beat them once. We killed a bunch of them last time. We'll do it again, and they will chase them. And once they've been chased, the other hidden group will come out and attack the city because the city will be open and unguarded. So there's the plan. So the, the men disperse, and they go, and they hide, and they've set up this plan. So they are preparing for what's going. So they've taken their part in it. God said, this is what I'm going to do, but actually they've then got involved. They'll have had to go quietly and hide at night behind the city, get ready. They can't give away their positions. If they go their way of position, they all know. They think, all right, there's people over there on the other side of the city. We've got to go and attack them as well. So they had to be careful about this, and so they move on. What does the next part say? And as soon as the king of Ai saw this, he and all his people, the men of the city, hurried and went out early to the appointed place towards the Arabah to meet Israel in battle. But he did not know there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all Israel pretended to be beaten before them and fled to the direction of the wilderness. 
So all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them, and they all pursued Joshua. They were drawn away from the city. Not a man was left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. They left the city open and pursued Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the javelin that is in your hand towards Ai, and I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. And the men in the ambush rose quickly out of their place. And as soon as he had stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and captured it. And they hurried to set the city on fire. So when the men of Ai looked back, behold, the smoke of the city uh, went up to heaven. And they had no power to flee this way or that. For the people who fled to the wilderness turned back against the pursuers. And when Joshua and all Israel saw the ambush, ambush had captured the city and that the smoke of the city went up, then they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. And the others came out from the city against them. So they were in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side. And Israel struck them down until there was left, uh, left none that survived or escaped. But the king of Ai, they took alive and brought him near to Joshua. We have victory achieved now. Despite the foregone conclusion of the battle because God had spoken, comes up three times in the passage so far saying, I've given it to you. There was a human responsibility. They had to actually go and fight. They had to actually engage their enemy. And so what happens? They go out in battle. The king of Ai and all his troops say, hey, look, they're out there. Let's go and engage them again. They flee. Israel flee. This pretend we're going to move away. They're overconfident, arrogant, they're thinking, we've done this once, we're going to do it again. So what happens? It says all the men piled out the city. So all the fighting men thinking, this is such a good thing. We're going to go and get them. They despised the God of Israel. They thought nothing of him, even though he is Lord of heaven and earth. They thought they knew better, and they flew out in their sin after him to attack Israel. What that means now is the city itself is vulnerable. They're overconfident. Sounds like Star Wars. The overconfidence is your undoing. And what happens? They go out and the others come in and they attack the vulnerable city. And Joshua gives his signal because he's drawn the troops away where it says he holds out his javelin. We're in a kind of a short spear. And it was somehow he must have gone up to a high point to signal to the other troops. Hold out. Go attack the city. We've drawn them away. They are in hiding. They might not have been able to see. And by holding out his javelin, it kind of says to them, it's now your time to attack. They'd have been watching. They'd have had scouts out. They then pile down to kind of close the trap on Ai. And this idea of Joshua holding out his arm is an image you find throughout the Old Testament of the power of God and the presence of God in action. You would have seen it before. In Joshua's predecessor, there was a man named Moses who had led the people. And we'd seen uh, Moses hold out his arm. He would have had a staff. It was a staff of Moses. And when he held it out, he saw the plagues come. We saw the Red Sea part. Even throughout the Old Testament Exodus, the idea of the outstretched arm of the Lord was an image for God's power, God's presence, God's judgment. So the fact that Joshua was standing there holding it out was a sign that these guys were under God's judgment and it was only going to go one way. There was a, a famous battle in uh, Exodus chapter 17 against Amalek uh, where Moses went up on the hill and he held his arms out. And we said when he's holding his arms out, the people of God would have victory. And eventually he had to, his arms got so tired, he had to have people come and help him hold his arms up. And the people of God prevailed. So there's this image carrying on that God is with his people. His purposes are advancing. Nothing can stop them. 
And so what happens is they have great victory. And then, so the, the, the ambushed guys go in, they, they burn the city, they then come out of the city, and suddenly the troops of Ai are chasing Israel, like, ah! They suddenly, oh, it's on fire. Uh-oh, we need to go back for the city. But then what comes out from the city? A whole other group of soldiers. They're now trapped. They've got soldiers of Israel on this side, soldiers of Israel on this side. The ones who are fleeing over here suddenly realize, right, stop fleeing, let's go back. We were only pretending. And they're coming after us. The trap is closed. And they've absolutely no way out. And it says they were utterly annihilated under God's judgment, completely destroyed. All the army wiped out, save the king who was captured, it says, and brought alive. And the city was utterly destroyed there, and the people were utterly destroyed as well. It was a complete um, annihilation of that city and destruction. And it's worth just kind of addressing again, what this means for us about the destruction of the Canaanites by the hand of God. Because I know a lot of people, when they read their Bible, are like, what is this about when God's kind of effectively ordering what sounds like a genocide of, of these people? How do we as Christians kind of, kind of square this? Well, there's a few things to bear in mind. First thing is God's judgment is not arbitrary. It's not a whim. It's not like you woke up more than one morning in a bad mood. Have you ever done that? Do you live with someone who's ever done that? Yeah, that happens sometimes, doesn't it? Obviously not in my house, but it does happen with other people. And you just wake up in a bad mood. God's not like that. He doesn't just wake up in a bad mood. The the Canaanites were guilty of some of the most evil, abominable practices. Child sacrifice was common. Burning babies in um, offering to Moloch, one of their gods, was just normal part of their practice. Some of the shrines of Moloch had fires in them where they put the children fried them. All sorts of sexual immorality, evil practices was normal in their culture and God had given them years, generations to repent of their sin. Repent, repent, repent. And they hadn't, so they were under God's judgment as a result. There were exceptions. We've seen one of them in Joshua. Who was the exception? Rahab, Canaanite. She repented of her sin and thus escaped God's judgment. Because she threw herself on his mercy. And that's what, effectively what we have as Christians. We throw ourselves on God's mercy. And Christ takes that in our place. And so there were exceptions to what was going. The ones who, were, who didn't want to repent faced God's judgment is what we've seen. Israel didn't go and commit genocide on their own in the sense. Actually, they were just really executing what God had already ordained. It was all about God. And also, this also perhaps, uh, this also took part in a particular moment in history. It's not something that's ever been asked to be repeated throughout Scripture. It was a particular moment where God was executing judgment on people who hadn't repented of their sins, which for us is a sobering warning that we need to get right with God. We need to get right with Him. Because one day, judgment will come. And it'll either fall on you or it'll fall on Jesus. And you've got a choice. You can be in Christ and have it fall on Him and be saved, or you can face it yourself. And that's not good. And so that's what's happening here. A difficult time. All right, let's keep going with the story. Verse 24. When Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the open wilderness, they, were pers- they pursued them, and all of them to the very last had fallen by the edge of the sword. All Israel returned to Ai and struck it down with the edge of the sword. And all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. But Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he had stretched out his javelin until he had devoted all the inhabitants of Ai to destruction. Only the livestock and the spoil of the city Israel took as their plunder, according to the word of the Lord that he commanded Joshua. 
So Joshua burned Ai and made it forever a heap of ruins as it is to this day. And he hanged the king of Ai on a tree until evening. And at sunset, Joshua commanded that they took down the body from the tree and threw it to the entrance of the gate of the city and raised over it a great heap of stones, which stands to this day. Last bit, victory completed. The city of Ai is completely destroyed along with all its inhabitants. It says, if you notice the text, they were, Israel were very careful to follow the commands of God. Previously they hadn't, and it had gone bad for them. This time they did, in light of their favor, and they, um, in light of what happened. And they were just saying, we were going to completely follow it, and the city is utterly destroyed. The king features, uh, faces um, the same fate as Achan, who we've seen in the previous chapter, under God's judgment for their sin. Interestingly, the king, it says there, he was hung on a tree, uh, after he was killed, impaled, put on a tree until um, sunset, then his body was taken down. Does that remind you of anyone? We're going to come back to that. And the story ends with God's complete victory. God assured them at the beginning, I will do this. And at the end, what do we have? God's purposes being worked out. You cannot stop the purposes of God. You cannot stop the advancement of God's kingdom. And even as it ends, it's another reminder for the reader of God's holiness and God's justice. There's another great pile of stones. The previous chapter ended with a pile of stones. That actually God is a holy God and we cannot trifle with that. Sin needs to be dealt with. His judgment is coming. It's something that we must take very seriously. And Achan faced it and now the people of Ai had also faced it themselves. Let's look at a few things of application to finish. First one, the victory belongs to God. The victory belongs to God. Verses 1, 7, and 18 are God speaking, saying, I will give you this. I will give this city into your hand. I will assure you what is going to come. And what happened? It did happen. And so only he gets the glory. Only he gets the praise for what happened. He's the one who did it. And for us as believers, the victory has been won in Christ. He is the one who's won God the victory. He is the one who is over everything. He is the one who deserves all glory and all honor and praise. And ultimately, he will have victory in the end. You can't stop this. You just can't stop it. This is what's coming. Christ is the one who is going to have complete and total victory in everything. You've heard about a story today where the victory of Christ was evidenced we sing about it because we've seen it in our own lives but one day it will be before everything every eye will know every knee will bow every tongue will confess that jesus christ is lord and one day his victory will be proclaimed throughout the heavens and the earth and all will know and all will celebrate in that and so whatever you're facing now Whatever battle you're facing, whatever kind of hardship it is, we can take confidence that ultimately Christ has the victory. That's ultimately what's going to happen. He will work it out. You might face something now which looks like apparent defeat. You might be facing something like that that looks like it's overwhelming. You're in the war. You don't know when it's going to finish. You don't know what's going to happen. But ultimately, Christ will have the victory. He is with you. He has assured you of that. One day you will enjoy that with him forever. And that's where we're heading. That marriage supper of the Lamb we read about in Revelation. Where there'll be no more crying and no more suffering and no more tears. And we will be with him forever. And his victory will be fully realized 
by all creation, all people, when everything is renewed. And so whatever you find yourself facing right now, when you're in the midst of it, we can live with great confidence and great assurance that God one day will ultimately have the victory, which is wonderful news because one day this will all be over. One day this will all be happening. Someone even spoke to me just before the meeting and they were talking about um, the hardships and people had gone through and a real difficulty. But then they said, but actually, do you know it's over now and a few months have passed and already it's kind of faded into, it's faded almost into nothing because it's over Whatever we face in this life, no matter how hard, there one day it will be over and it will fade because of eternity. And we'll be facing eternity with Christ forever and anything we faced in this life will be gone and will be dealt with and we will be looking forward to great times in a new heaven and a new earth in perfection with Jesus. The second thing we need to take from this is our sin will not stop God. Our sin will not stop God. Despite the failure of Israel in the the taking of Jericho, Achan's sin and the failure in that battle with the first one with Ai, God's purposes would be worked out. You just can't stop this. No, 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 no. You can't stop it. You just can't stop it. God had promised to Abraham 500 years beforehand, you are going to have this land. Your descendants will inherit it. And human sin is not going to get in the way of God's sovereign purposes. Ultimately, he will work it out, which is wonderful news for us because God is the God of renewed opportunities. God is the God of second chances. God is the God of go at it again. Israel had failed first time. But once it was dealt with, relationship was restored, grace and mercy was poured out, they went again. And for us as believers, this is wonderful news because hands up who's failed. Those who haven't, they're the liars. Everyone has. We've all made mistakes. We all think, oh my goodness. You know, because I've done this, I've acted like this, I've said this, I've screwed up, I've messed up in this situation, this relationship, this, this area of life. I've failed how can God use me? How can this advance? How can God's call on my life continue? How can I, da-da-da, whatever it is, God's grace is enough. God's grace is bigger than that. God's grace says, I will come to you. I will deal with it. You repent of your sin. I will forgive you. I will restore you. And we can move on into God's purposes. And history is rushing towards this final point where Jesus will be recognized throughout the world as King of kings and Lord of lords, and our sin can't get in the way of that. The only thing that can get in the way is if we refuse to deal with it. And actually, if we face up to it, repent of our sins, and move on, God is going to take his purpose in our life. Remember the king on the tree, king of Ai? He was hung on that tree till sunset. Why? Because the Old Testament image is someone like that is cursed by God. That's the imagery. He was cursed by God. He was under God's judgment, God's right judgment. He had sinned. He had failed to repent, him and his whole city. And so that he, he represented something. So he was hung on a tree. And it said, cursed is anyone hung on a tree. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He was hung on a tree. He was taken down before sunset, laid in a grave that wasn't even his own. 
He was cursed before God so we don't have to. He faced the punishment that we deserve. The destruction of that city was poured out on Christ so we didn't have to face it. He stood in our place for our sin. That's the good news of the Christian message. That what it means to become a follower of Jesus is to recognize he paid the price for us for all the things we had done, we've done. He then rose from death, breaking the power of sin and death, and calls men and women to turn from our sin and follow him. And that's all we've done. That's all believers have done. They're not smarter than anyone else. They've just chosen to put their faith and trust in Jesus. And because of that, our sin is dealt with. Because of that, we are restored. Because of that, we're righteous and holy. And nothing can stop God's purposes from working out in our lives. We just need to trust in him and get right with him. So what does that mean for us? If you're not a believer here, you need to repent of your sin. You need to turn around. You need to put your faith and trust in Jesus and follow him all the days of your life. If you are a believer here, you need to get right with God. Anything that's out of, you know, out of sorts with him. Do it today. Whatever it is, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just, will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 8 and 9. If you know there's things in your life that are out of, out of order with God, things you need to repent of, things you need to turn away, things with people, deal with it today. You can even do it now while I'm talking. You know, just tune out. I know you all do it at times. You phase in, you phase out. Just now get right with God. Deal with it. Work it out. Recommit to him today. Sort anything out from the previous week. He has a plan and a purpose for your life to see his kingdom come. And he wants to use you in it. And you not dealing with sin hinders that. Get it right and then God's purposes are going to fly in your life. Even what Phil was saying today, that message. She kind of went out and think, can I pray? Can I? Look what God did. Get it right with God and his uh, his plans and purposes about your sin can't stop it. Your sin can't stop it. Last one, and then I'll stop. We are responsible. We are responsible. Even though victory was certain, we need to take seriously God's commands to us. God is sovereign. We know what's going to happen in the end. I've read the end of the book. I know where it's going. I know ultimately what's going to happen. But at the same time, we are completely responsible for what we do. We are called to faithful obedience to Jesus. In every way, just like the people of Israel in that story, faithful obedience. God said, this is how you're going to do it. So they did it that way. This is what you're going to do. They followed it very carefully, follow all the commands that God had given them. And we too, as a people of God, are called to faithful obedience. When it comes to reading our Bibles, prayer. Oh, we've got a prayer meeting this Tuesday. Man, that application dovetails nicely. Oh, why don't you come along and join us with prayer? So we've got that. Sharing the good news with others, serving the poor, all those things. We are commanded to do something. We cannot sit on our bottoms as believers. That's not what we're designed to do. God has saved us. He's restored us. He's redeemed us, made us right holy for a purpose. To go out there and communicate the good news in all we do and all we are. And so we need to commit to playing our part. Are you playing your part in seeing that come about? You can't just rely on, oh, it's just God's going to, you know, you can't stop this. But actually God uses you. God uses you to advance his kingdom in your workplace, in your family. Are you committed to playing your part? Are you committed to being part of this church and saying, yes, or another church, if you're a member of it, you're a visitor, that's great, lovely to have you. But are you committed to it and saying, I am part of what is happening here, and I'm going to build on that. 
If you're part of here, come and help us out this Christmas time. Come and get involved with the messy Christmas and all the stuff that's going on. Pray with us. Serve with us. Worship with us. Look to move it forward. Do all you can to make this season kind of work for us as a people because it's a wonderful opportunity. Do all you can to get right with God and, and move your walk, walk with him forward. Get into praying. Get into reading. I know that some people do every year, and I think I've decided I'm going to do this, is as it runs up to Advent, they get one of those books where it's kind of daily readings for Advent and actually just read through the Christmas story, the Bible Christmas story, as you run up to Christmas, just to get yourself soaked in what it meant for God himself to come to earth as a baby. If you're not, if you're not sure where you're going when you buy a reading, why not grab something like that and just get yourself into God's word as we move towards Christmas and, and kind of take seriously what it is because his word is transforming, it will change you. Come and pray with us, get involved with us, and you will see God's purposes at work in your life. We aren't responsible. So, the victory belongs to God. You can't stop this. Our sin will not hinder God's purposes. You can't stop this. And we are responsible for our actions. Amen? Do you want to stand up? Our band come up. I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing... MC Hammer. Okay. Let me just pray. And then we'll finish. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for your plans and purposes. Lord God, I want to thank you that before the foundation of the world, you had a plan. You had a plan to redeem mankind for yourself. Lord, I want to thank you that nothing could stop your plan. Our failure, our mistakes, our errors could not stop coming, your purposes coming about. Lord, I thank you that we know the end of the story. We know what's going to happen at the end, and we've seen it. We've read the last page. We know that your victory will be assured and be completed there. And we will share in that, Lord Jesus. We thank you so much. We thank you that even though we fail and we make th- get things wrong and we stuff up so many ways, Lord, we thank you that your purposes continue in our lives. Lord God, we thank you that when we repent and we put our faith and trust in you, our relationship is restored. Lord God, and we can carry on moving with you, Lord. We thank you that you have made us responsible beings, Lord, and we have to play our part in seeing this come about. Lord Lord Jesus, we ask you give us grace to do that today, Lord, to be an active part of your kingdom. We're all shaped differently. We have different gifts and we have different talents, whatever it is, God, but we we want to all be part of your serving community. I just feel for us today, you need to take this attitude as you as you kind of leave this place. And that is that when you see a situation and you think, what should I do? If it was, you think, I want you to think, if it is in my power to help, I'm going to help. If it is in within my power to do something, I'm going to do something. Whether that's just a simple offer of prayer, whether it's more a practical help. If you have money, can I offer money to this? If I have skills, can I offer skills to this? If it's in my power, I am going to serve my friends, my families, my colleagues, whatever it is, strangers I meet. Because I, we are responsible for God. We know his plans and purposes are coming about, but we're responsible beings. So if that, just maybe you just want to put your hands up if you feel like, actually, I want to take that seriously, God's call. And I'm just going to pray for the Spirit of God to come on us. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you make us a loving, serving people. 
That is, if, it, if, it, if it's in our power to do something for your glory, give us grace to do it, Lord Jesus. If it's within our power to love and serve others and show them something of you, make that so, Lord. Give us courage to stand out and just step forward, whatever it means, Lord Jesus. We want to say we love you and we praise you and God's people said.